Father, we do praise and lift you up here today. We thank you for the good things that you have brought our way. Things we have seen, things we have not seen. But we know, Father, that you constantly bring good things to us. For your plans for us are good. Your plans are for us to be blessed. And we thank you for it. As we look to your word, thank you for the direction you give us and the help that we can become better in every aspect of our life and more like Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good to see you on the last of the warm days for a little while. Boy, it is nice. I have water here tonight. My voice was drying out here some today. I was only on one phone conversation and almost didn't make it through it. But uh, I did, and I will make it through tonight as well. We're in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. There's a story about a father who became disturbed about the length of time his son took to come home from school. And so what he did was he, he went to school and he, he made the walk home on his own. Uh, son was about six years old. This is an old story because they don't let six-year-olds walk home from school anymore, I know. But for, uh, you know, when I was growing up, they did. And so he, was, uh, he, he walked on home to see how long it would take. And he determined that from the place over there, you know, the son has smaller steps than he did, and he counted for that. He determined that it should take about 20 minutes for his son to get from the school to the, to the house. But constantly, his son was taking an hour. Take him an hour to get on home. And so he decided that the way he was going to solve this problem is that he was going to uh, pick up his son at, at school and walk home with him to see why it took him an hour instead of the 20 minutes he figured that it should take uh, a boy that that age to, to go. And so this is what he said. He said that the 20 minutes I thought reasonable was right. But I failed to consider such important things as a side trip to track down a trail of ants. Or an educational stop to watch a man fix a flat. Or the time it took to swing around a half dozen telephone poles. Or how much time it took for a boy just to get acquainted with two stray dogs and a brown cat. In short, the father said, I had forgotten what it was really like to be six years old. It's a good story. As we look at this uh, section of Colossians, it talks about unequal relationships. And certainly parents are, are one of them. Is that whenever we are in an unequal relationship where we are over someone... We must remember that we cannot judge them and their ways by what we do or how we do it. We have to be able to put ourselves in their position before we can pass that judgment on or before we can be of any help into that at all. And that's a lot of the wisdom that we're going to see from Paul here in this. We're going to give you some parallel passages over in Ephesians as well as we go through this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, Ephesians, when he teaches on the same thing, he has a little, he's a, a little bit more wordy. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Look how close that is. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, the promise, honor your father and mother, comes right out of Exodus. <coughs> That's just a, a quote out of there. But he's saying that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There's a, there's a good thing about obeying. Obeying. Now, we might be thinking, you know, well, if you listen to your parents and don't cross the street without looking, that you may live long on the earth and things of, of that nature. But it's, uh, it gets beyond that because there's God able to work in our life when we just flat out obey. Now, we gave you a lot of scriptures in here. This is just stuff for you to look up. Did everybody get two pages tonight? Yeah. All right, good. I was going to cut it down to one. It says, you know, there's some stuff in here that Maybe it's not important to you now, but you might want to have it later on. And I didn't want to cut it all out of there. But there's a number of scriptures there that just talk about the punishment, which a lot of times was uh, punishable by death in the Old Testament if you sinned against your parents, if you uh, didn't do that particular thing. And, of course, the corresponding relationship there is our Father God. And so as, as we uh, exercise uh, obedience to our parents, how we're going to exercise obedience to uh, to our Father God. Also, 
as we ex- uh, exact obedience from those that are under us as children is how we see God doing the same thing with us. Anyway, a lot of the scriptures are there. You can go back there and, and take a look at them if you want. But there came a point where Jesus knew that children would have to defy their parents to come to him. That's why he gave us the scriptures in Luke twelve fifty one through 53, which uh, talk about uh, how we are to come against some of those things. Again, that's just a reference you can look up later on if you want to. But I want to focus on the, on the scripture at hand, which is children, obey your parents in all things. How many things? He doesn't leave anything out there, does he? doesn't say in those things you think are right. And in those things you think they have jurisdiction over. He says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, he's given this commandment to children, not adults. There comes a point where a child is no longer a child and becomes an adult. And you don't obey parents in the same way. Now, some parents don't let that go. They think, you know, I brought you into this world. <clears throat> but there's a point where the parent has to let go and let the child be an adult, let the child be uh, over, their, over their household and so forth. And, and uh, it's, it's tough to do. You know, for some people, I think it's, it's a little tougher than others. But, you know, when, when our kids grow up, they, uh, they have responsibilities to come on their own. It's not for me to make that decision for them anymore. You know, when Alyssa and Nikolai are making their decisions about their kids and they come to a decision, I don't question them. I don't sit there and say, well, you know, if that was me, I wouldn't do that. These are their kids, and they have that same parental authority over those kids. And so I respect that parental authority. And we have to do that. And we don't go up to them and say, look, you're my daughter. You'll do it this way. No, that's not the way that it is. The commandment is to children. And Greek has a specific word. It doesn't just have children. It has, you know, toddlers and infants and all those sort of... These are children that are under the jurisdiction of the, of the parents. It's not talking to infants. It's not talking to toddlers. This is talking to the young children. Children, obey your parents in, in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So I put in your outline this. The big thing here is the conditions that qualify obedience. Did you all catch them? The conditions that qualify obedience. What are the conditions? <clears throat> is the condition that the parent be saved? No. Is the condition that the parent be right? None of those conditions apply. The condition is if you are the child and they are the parent, what do you do? Obey. Yep. With God, does, do we ever stop being his children though? No. no. So with God, how should we obey? No conditions. No condition like if God is right. No condition that if God is on solid ground. No condition of if I agree with God. There's no conditions. If God says to do something, we must obey. That's not the way that it is. Most of the children in the body of Christ have, have re- well, you know, God said this, but I think that's old-fashioned. I don't think that works anymore. I don't think it ought to be this way. And uh, we have a number of different things that we'll, we'll put in there. But don't be doing it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the, that's the thing to do. And he goes on. He talks about fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I don't know if I left this. I think I left this in your outline. The New Century Version. I like their translation here. Fathers, do not nag your children. If you are too hard to please, they may want to stop trying. Boy, wasn't that good? Mm. So when you come into a place where you have authority over a child, now this comes into a lot of a lot of places. Sometimes, you know, if we have a job where there's children, if we're in children's ministry, if if we have children that are under us, we come into that. Uh, there, there's an authority that's there, and so we must listen to this as well. It's not just good for fathers; it's good for other people that are in uh, ruling over our child. Fathers, do not nag your children. If you are too hard to please, they may want to stop trying. And we've got to make sure that as, as being the authority there, that we're not too hard to please. If we give, an, in, 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 if give the impression to children, whether it's in children's ministries, whether it's in worker as a, in, a, in a job where there's children, whether it's at home, wherever it might be, if we give the impression that that child cannot please us, 
and we find more wrong than we do that is right, we are going to discourage that child. And that child will give up trying to please you. That's the responsibility is on us. Now, this is what God does too, doesn't it? Doesn't God follow the same thing? Is God hard to please? No. 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 As we get older, he expects more out of us. But, uh, you know, we're, we're not putting out God's best a lot of times. And yet God still comes along and is pleased with us. Isn't that right? Wasn't God pleased with David? Didn't David mess up a few times? Yeah, God was still pleased with him, wasn't he? Wasn't God pleased with Peter? Didn't he mess up a few times? Didn't he have some problems? Yeah, he did. God still worked with him. You've got to follow that same example that we had there. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now let's take a look at it in Ephesians. <clears throat> and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now he expands on that just a little bit more than he did in the one verse there. That there is training and admonition. That there is a training period that we go through. In that training period, you don't expect everything out of the first training session. Now, if you, uh, if you had a, uh, anybody here have ever had a workout uh, instructor? Whatever kind of workout you're doing, whether it's weights or uh, Zumba or uh, I don't know, whatever things are out there that you do. But you have an instructor. And aren't you glad that, you know, your first day, they didn't expect everything out of you at the, they, they expected first day stuff out of you and second day, third day, you know, might get a little bit tougher, might get a little bit up a little bit more, but thank God they didn't expect us to do everything that we, they would expect us to do down the road right off the bat. This is God. God doesn't expect perfect obedience out of us just because we got born again. He realizes there's going to be a lot of things we mess up on. Are we willing to do the same thing with children? To the children that are put under our care? Are we willing to say, you know what? They're a child. We're here to train them. And we have to allow some things to go on. And we have to look past that just like God does. Doesn't God look past some of our stuff? Now, after a while, he says, all right, we're not done looking past it. Now we're dealing with it. And he begins to deal with us. But when he deals with us, he doesn't deal with us in a condemning way. He deals with us in a corrective way. And so it says here in the scriptures, fathers, do not provoke your children. Or Ephesians puts it, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't push them to the point where they begin to get angry. That's, that's on you as the father. Not on the child. Now, if the child gets angry and then decides to give up on doing what the father wants, who's at fault? I mean, the child's not obeying anymore, is they? They gave up on obeying. But who's at fault? Well, the, the older one is going to be the, the one who's going to be held accountable first. The one who knows better. The one who has more responsibility. So if you have a child under your care and they're continually disobedient, continually doing things that are not right, what should you do? Lean on them harder? Or do you look to yourself? I see a lot of times we have to, what can I do to build up that relationship? What can I do to, to um, endear them to me so that they want to do the things that I need them to do or that I see is important to do? And I've got to look to myself to change. I look to myself, how can I make this thing, this thing better? And, um, well, we can do it. We can find a way to, to do it. Because I've, I've had times... You know, I've provoking my children, getting them angry. My wife had to pull me aside and said, you know, you do that, you get them angry. Well, who's got to change? Well, I had to change. I'm not expecting them to change. I had to change. So I changed some things, altered some, some stuff to try and uh, to get past that. But if we're doing things that are aggravating the children that are under us, we're not operating as God. And yet we're supposed to be giving them that kind of example. Number one is the father to the, to the children. You're supposed to be giving them an example of God. How God treats his children. You're supposed to be giving them that example. He didn't give any instructions to mothers here. Gave the instructions to the fathers. Gave them to some, gave some instructions to them before, husbands and wives. 
But this one, they're, they're left off. Yes, they don't need any instruction. <laughs> I don't know what that is. But fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, the role of the father is to encourage. If God dealt with us in such a way as we become discouraged, then God's not doing what God needs to be doing. And we're not going to be overcoming. We're not going to be doing the things that we need to, that we need to do. So fathers, be careful. Now, there's, I left this in your outline because I wanted you to steal this. This may not mean anything to you right now, maybe down the road. I want you to at least have it written. The, t- the ten ways parents provoke children. First is overprotection. How many of you all know overprotection generally is on the side of the moms? <laughs> generally. Not always. I understand some fathers can be overprotective, but generally it's on the side of the moms. Case in point, you know, when the kids got on the bus for the first time, you know what I did? See if I, you know what mom did? Followed them the entire way. Got in the car and followed the bus the whole way. Make sure that they, <laughs> no, I didn't stop her. Like, you know, if you want to do that, go ahead. I'm not going. I'm staying right here. I'm doing what I need to do. Now, there was one time that she followed another way, and, and I think my daughter stayed on the bus too long, and she didn't, she didn't get off. I'm not sure if she didn't follow that day, and she went driving around, calling around. and <clears throat> So she did discover a problem on that one. She always let us remember about that. You know, there was a problem the one time. And <laughs> Overprotection. The children never have any liberty. There are strict rules for everything. Parents never trust children. And children begin to despair and may believe that how they behave is irrelevant since nothing they do earns their parents' trust. We've got to be careful about that. Now, this is not just something that works for, for, for children. If you are in an overseeing position, even over adults, this same thing works. You cannot be overprotective. You cannot be to the point that you don't give them any liberty. That there are strict rules for everything. You can't do that. Or they won't grow. Even as adults, they won't grow if we continue to do that. But that's uh, one of the ways. Overprotection. Another one is showing favoritism. Unfair comparisons. Well, your brother never did that. Well, your sister always got good grades. These create frustration. You can't be comparing one to the other. One child may be great at math. The other child may have a real struggle with it. And if you do, do these unfair comparisons, then they're going to be, they're going to be feeling inferior. Um, it's, they're not going to want to hear the things that you have to say if they feel that what you're doing is unfair. You need to acknowledge. You know, there, there are some, some things that just don't, don't come well to, to some people. They just can't get their, their minds around it. Uh, and other ones that do. It's, uh, it just depends. You know, when I was going through school, science, no trouble grabbing a hold of science. Chemistry, not so much. Just um, couldn't quite grasp what chemistry was, was doing. But any other area of science, you could explain the principle to me, I had it down. You know, geometry, piece of cake. Algebra, not quite so easy. At least the first time I went through it. Second time I went through it when we were homeschooling, piece of cake. Much easier than the first time. But don't do unfair comparisons. Don't hold them up to a standard that the other child has set. And the same thing even in a job situation. Don't hold, uh, well, you know, so-and-so is always here and able to do these things or whatever it might be. Don't be, uh, don't be doing that kind of stuff. Another one is undervaluing. When parents fail to listen, when a child gives you a story, I mean, to that child, that story is valid. Mm-hmm. That story holds some water. And when you just discount it, you're putting basically on them, you have no value. You need to listen to them. And you may be laughing on the inside, you think this is a big problem. They may be saying, well, it's not a big problem. But for right now, you know, for that six-year-old, that seven-year-old, that eight-year-old, that is a big problem. That is the biggest problem they have to face. How many have ever heard parents, and I'm sure none of you here did it, but parents who said, well, if that's the worst of your problems, your life is pretty easy. That does not help a six, seven, or eight-year-old with what it is that they're facing. They're, 
They're going to go off in there and they're going to get frustrated. They're going to feel provoked. They're going to get angry. They're going to feel like no one wants to hear what it is I have to say. And uh, you, you, can't, you can't do that. You've got to be listening to them. You've got to hear the things that they have to say. It works uh, just as well with, uh, with adults. People may have some, some complaints. People may have some reasons why their job is difficult. You need to listen to it. You need to find out what's going on. And instead of just discounting it, put it back in there. Well, how can we overcome this? How can you overcome this problem? You can't always do that with children, but adults you should be able to do. How can you overcome this problem? And then when they come up with a strategy, hold them to it. How are you doing with that? Getting that thing done. But uh, don't fail to listen. You've got to listen to what's, what's going on. Because no matter what, if you don't listen to what's going on, whatever answer you come up with is not going to be correct. Because you haven't listened on that part of it first. Uh, they, uh, if you ever went through Steve Covey's book, one of the principles he gave in there was um, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Because if you don't understand what is going on, the people, even if people understand you, understood what you were saying back, it ain't going to matter. You've got to first off understand what's going on, what is actually happening in the situation. And then once you find that out, then you can go through and you can, you can do something else, but you got to listen first. So parents, don't fail to listen. Children become convinced that what they do or feel is unimportant. And no matter what age you are, child or adult, you begin to think that the people above you do not care about what it is that you feel. It's going to have an effect on you. Now do that with children too. you got to listen to them. Because right now what they're describing to you is the worst problem in the world. And if you don't listen to it when they have a worse problem, why are they going to come and tell you about it? You just told them, your problems are not important to me. You can't do that. You've got to make sure that you, uh, you hold it. Hold up in high esteem the things that they're going through. Treat them as the problem that the child sees that they are. They give up trying to communicate, become discouraged, shy, and withdrawn. When we see that happening in our kids, it's not their fault, it's ours. If we see that happening to our employees, it's not their fault, it's ours. We've got to take ownership of that. Unrealistic goals. No matter what age you are, someone is over you and has unrealistic goals. It does not go well. Parents accomplish this by never rewarding or letting them feel they have succeeded. Never rewarding or letting them feel they have succeeded. If you have employees, and if you set, here's what we need to do, and we get close to it, man, you all, you failed me. You didn't get it done. No matter what, it seems like you can't be pleased. Maybe they face some extra problems in getting that thing accomplished, whatever it might be. Don't set unrealistic goals. And if you set a goal, and there's problems that came up. Make sure that you, hey, you know what? We set this goal. We didn't quite get it. But look, we overcame this problem, this problem, and this problem. And we got it all going close to getting that goal hit. That's pretty good. Now, t- tomorrow, next week, whatever the time frame is, we're going to be able to do better. We're not going to have, or we're going to anticipate those problems or whatever it might be. But you have to have them come out encouraged. Because if they come out encouraged, then they're ready to take it on. And just uh, do the same thing with the children. Don't set unrealistic goals. Well, unless you get straight A's, I don't want to hear about it. Don't show me a report card that doesn't have all A's on it. Don't even bother coming home with that. Well, that's, that's harmful. What kind of pressure? And what if they get all A's and a B? All they're going to look at is that B, and I can't bring this home to mom and dad. And there are parents that are out there that have done these kind of things and have put these kids under this kind of pressure. And, and don't do it. For, for some classes, I mean, getting to C is good. No, English. I hate English. Hated it all through school. Could not stand it. That, I'll tell you what, it just bugged me. A breaking down sentence. Who breaks down sentences? Who really needs to know all the parts of speech of a sentence? 
I mean, really, we just I just couldn't understand it. Wasting all of our time here just breaking down this uh, this sentence. Not going to help us out. You know, if my parents wanted to set a, uh, a goal, you need to get an A in English. I'd give up before I even started this, the, the school semester there. I, well, I'm not going to make this one, so there's no sense even trying. This is, this is gone. You know, I was in college, and I had an unrealistic goal set for me. And uh, I never took the class again, but, uh, you know, freshman year, you sign up for stuff that you don't know. Signed up for, uh, I think it was European literature, <laughs> some kind of literature class. And uh, we were expected to read all of the books. Well, that's unrealistic right there. There's no way I'm reading all these books. <laughs> and, uh, but I picked up the first book, and I read it, and I didn't like the book. I thought for a Christian college, this book should not be assigned. And so my decision, I even told my parents, I'm not reading it. I told my parents on the phone, I am not reading this book. I don't think I should read this book. I don't think it's a good book to read. I don't think it's putting good things in my head. I could tell you the name of the book because I still remember it. And um, I told the name of my parents. They said, oh, that's not a good book. I said, I didn't think so. I don't want to read it. So I fudged my way through it. And I may have gotten out of there with the sea. I was happy. <laughs> but I had unrealistic goal set in re- reading all these books. I don't think I read a single book all the way through <laughs> in literature class. I got through with the sea. <clears throat> Never took another one. That was it for me for literature classes. Now, other people just love books and just love literature and can get past all the other junky stuff that was in there and see the good in the book. I could not. I saw no good value in a book that had to have these kind of stories as part of its uh, setting. So to me, it was garbage. I actually got a lot of books that were garbage in, in college. I threw a whole lot of them away. I didn't like them. You know, if he, being a Bible major, he gave you a lot of Bible books. And if that Bible book, if, that, if the author of that book did not look at the Word of God as 100% the Word of God, completely inspired, and did not try and pick it apart and tell us which parts to believe, if they did any of those things, that book was in the trash. I didn't even sell it to get money from I threw it away because it was garbage to me. I did not like it. King's College and I, we had some trouble because we had too many, too many professors teaching from books that these people did not believe that the Word of God was the Word of God. Anyway, don't set unrealistic goals. Understand, uh, even if you are over a team of adults, understand what your team is capable of and set goals that they can reach. And then once they reach those goals, then set higher goals. But with your children, don't set goals that they can't reach. I mean, some kids can hit some goals and some other kids... That's a... You know, for some kids to be obedient the entire time they're in children's church is not a problem. (laughs) Other ones to be obedient for 10 minutes. This is a breakthrough. I certainly saw that when I was in youth group and leading the youth group. We had some kids, I'll tell you what, they they were trouble at home, they were trouble there. But we had to find good goals. Goals that they could, could, and encourage them. Find ways to encourage them. Nothing is enough, so the children never receive full approval. And that's just, just sad. You've got to find a way to give full approval to the people that are under you and the children that are under you. Highly important. If you don't give full approval, eventually they're going to say, I don't need their approval at all. I don't care if you like anything that I do. And you'll set up a hostile environment between you and the employee or between a parent and a child. Because nothing is ever good enough. We've seen movies. Maybe they've had whole movies where the kids grew up and nothing was ever good enough. And we saw what kind of things that it did for them when they got older. Parents try to make their children into something they themselves were not. And that never works out very well. Find out what God's calling is on that child and encourage them to go in that direction, not to become something that you wanted to, wanted to be. Frustration results even culminating in suicide when you have unrealistic goals. Goals that just can't seem to be met. To be met. Uh, a lack of affection is number five. Verbal and physical love must be communicated. There's got to be some of that affection that is, that is there. We all know that there's parents out there that there's just no affection going on at all. And other ones where affection is a big part. And you can certainly see it with the children. 
The children that, uh, that have no problem with affection, they're getting affection at home. But those other children, they just don't show it because they're not getting it at home. And my wife uh, watched children. My daughter watches children. Hasn't come over to the house. And different ones are, uh, respond in different ways and we can tell they, they get no affection at home or they get very little affection at home because they're very resistant to receiving affection when they're uh, at the house, when they're being watched, so forth. There's, it's important that you have verbal, verbal and physical love. It has to be communicated. And that needs to, needs to be done. And uh, you know, my granddaughter looks up at me and says, Papa, will you hold me? You know what the answer is. <laughs> it is always yes. doesn't matter if my arms are tired. She's getting heavier. She's getting bigger and she's getting heavier. I keep telling her, stop growing and I'll be able to hold you longer. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, she wasn't feeling so well over the course of uh, some days here. And Monday wasn't feeling so good. And we were, over at the, uh, we were out for a little bit with all of them. And, you know, she'd keep coming up to me, Papa, can you hold me? Absolutely. My arms are getting tired. <laughs> but, no. But you see, there's, uh, it's important that she see that physical type of a love, that she, that she has that, that stuff go on. My, my daughter is constantly, you know, wait before you get that, give me smooches. <laughs> and uh, just, she's constantly getting those, those kind of things from her mom, from her, from her father. And these are, these are important. Well, that raises her up where she expects that <clears throat> from people that are close to her. Verbal and physical love must be communicated. Now, when you get into an employee situation, uh, it's not a real good idea that you go over and hug them all the time, and that kind of stuff isn't probably going <laughs> to... Yeah, we probably don't want to have that kind of stuff going on. So you have to kind of, you know, uh, when it's your own children, it's, it's certainly one thing, but you can't quite have that there. But there's still some verbal stuff that you can do. And there's still some verbal things that you can, you can communicate. Because you can verbally communicate dissatisfaction. And it's important that you ver- verbally communicate satisfaction with what they're doing. Let them know that you care. A child may become discouraged and alienated otherwise. Uh, here's a sixth one. Lack of provision. Lack of provision. Learning, playing, food, clothes their own privacy and possessions. These are things that the child needs to have. They need to be provided with learning. They need to be provided with times of playing. They need to have food. They need to have clothes, their own privacy. Yes, a child needs to have their own privacy. You cannot, as a parent, say, whatever you have, I get into it anytime I want to. That's wrong. You need to let that child have a, have a place that is their own. It's important. It also tells you, I trust you. And that, that communicates that to them. But they need to have something that is their own. Learning, playing, food. There's their food. There's the, sometimes you go to the store, we buy this because this one likes it. Not because anyone else likes it, but because this one. We buy this for you. This is your, food. This is your cereal. This is your whatever it might be. They have their own clothes, their own privacy, and own possessions. And the same thing with, uh, with even employees. You make sure that you provide them. Give them things that are their own. Uh, lack of standards. Failure to do so or inconsistent, uh, failure to or inconsistent discipline. If there is no discipline or it's inconsistent, well, there's going to be a lack of a standard there. Go through the Walmart, as we told you before, you're going to find lots of this. They begin to feel insecure and unloved. Uh, James Dobson was the one who gave me this example. I loved it. He says that children are like security guards. They walk to the building, they check all the doors. They don't want any of them to be open but they check every single one. And they will. They come up and they check. Is this door open? (laughs) If it is open, what do they do? They go in. They want it to be closed. But if it's not, they they, they don't have that security. You want to make sure that they have have that. Even in the workplace, as as a boss, you need to make sure that the standards are consistent. A lack of attention. A biblical example of this is Absalom. Lack of attention that David gave. The result was rebellion, civil war, and death. Uh, Don't have a lack of attention. Even with employees as well as children, make sure you spend some time with them. Make sure that you have some attention that is there. Criticism. I think I left this in your your outline. Uh, A child learns what he lives. If he lives with criticism, he does not learn responsibility. He learns to condemn himself and to find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, to disparage his own ability, 
and to distrust the intentions of others. And above all, he learns to live with continual expectation of impending doom. If you continually criticize your employees, if you continue to criticize your children, the results will not be good. Number 10, excessive discipline. First, you have no discipline or inconsistent, and then you have excessive. If all the time out of our mouth is coming words of discipline, there's going to be a problem. You, You can't be doing it. If you're involved in children's ministries, if you're involved with children in a daycare situation, if you're involved with children in your home, if you're involved with employees, if all the time you are yelling at them, giving verbal, emotional, or physical abuse, it will not go well. There will be problems in the relationship, in the results that you have. You cannot be disciplining all the time because then there's no room for encouragement. Excessive discipline. Be careful of the words you use. You've got to be real careful of the words that you use because some of those words, they can cut deep, especially with children. But it still works with adults. Some adults don't take some words real well. We've got to be careful of that. We, as the, as the older one in the relationship, these are unequal relationships. We have to take responsibility for our words. You probably have seen the movies and have been through the Walmarts and you've heard the words from parents to their children. And you think, oh, I can feel that pain from here. But they, they speak these things to their kids. We can't be speaking these things to, the, to our kids. We've got to find positive words. We've got to provide a positive environment. Because outside of that, it, does not, it is not helpful. This is the environment that God creates. God uses positive words with us. He doesn't keep hammering us for the things we've done that are, that are wrong. Now, I left this in your outline uh, from Dorothy Law Nolte, I think it is. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in the world found out quite some time ago it's really good to to understand that whenever we are putting out something negative something negative will grow inside that child's life same thing with an employee if you keep sowing something negative you are going to reap something that is negative as well but if you sow something positive down the road there will be some positives that come verse 22 bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh not without eye service as men pleasers but in sincerity of heart fearing God whatever you do do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality now we would love it if Paul would have taken this whole thing and because bond servants here slaves that type of thing we would have loved said, you know, slaves, rebel. Get out from underneath that. But again, God is not coming along here with these words of wisdom to change our relationships. He's changing how we respond in them. And even here, a relationship that we would look at as not real good, bond servants, he doesn't look to change it. He looks to change them in it, how they respond in it. Now, we can also look at this as employees. Now, employees were certainly not slaves. By any, by any, there's, no, there's, there's a whole other dynamic that comes in when you are a bond server and when you're a slave compared to an employee. At least when you're an employee, you can say, you know what, I don't like this job, I'm leaving. And you can go to another job. And they do pay you. I mean, there's a whole lot of differences there. But if you want something to, to re- relate this to, this is the closest thing that we can, and that is a, um, an employment situation. Because you are there 
out of necessity. You would probably would not show up at your place of employment if you had $30 million in the bank <laughs> and didn't need to work. Right? For, the, for the most part, we would not be showing up at our place of employment if that was the case. Now, there are some people who would still show up there anyway, but for the most part, well, we would probably not, or we'd go out and do something different. I mean, we'd still do things, but maybe not putting up with, you know, the people that are calling in, the people who are walking in, the people that we have to deal with. We'd rather not do all that. But bond servants, we're just going to write in here for right now, because I know no one here is, is involved in a slave, bond servant type of relationship. Thank God. But here, employees, obey in all things your boss according to the flesh. Now, it's a boss according to the flesh. They rule over your, they rule over your flesh, not your spirit. <laughs> obey in all things your boss according to the flesh. So when your boss comes in and says, get this thing done, what should you do? You get it done. Now, it doesn't mean that if your boss comes in and tells you something that is against the Word of God that you go and do it because he's your, your first and foremost. But generally, bosses are not asking you to do something that's against the Word of God. For the most part, they are not doing that. If they do, they step over the line, then you can, uh, you know, you can talk to them about that sort of thing. But um, for the most part, they are not. Sometimes they ask us to do something we don't like. Sometimes they ask us to do something and we didn't focus on it. But what he's saying here is, when the boss has come and said, do this, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it, get it done. Get out there and get this thing, thing done. I'm sure no one here has ever thought this, but you've probably heard other people who say this. They don't pay me enough to do this job. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's, he has something to say about that. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And not to men. How well does God pay? He pays pretty good, doesn't he? Yeah. So what you, what you are to do is to not look at, are they paying me for what I am worth? Are they paying me for the effort that I am putting out? We don't do it that way. We look at, what does God expect of me? How does God expect me to take on this because I am doing this as to God not into, but I don't do anything spiritual now look at the situation he's speaking to bond servants these are slaves how many spiritual tasks do you think those masters were asking those slaves to do you know feed the sheep feed the horses uh, clean the stalls stuff like that those are the kind of jobs these folks were getting and he says don't be looking at don't be looking at doing this to men you look at this as doing it to God. Because God sees it. Who was it? Martin Luther King Jr.? You know, if you're a street cleaner, you'd be the best street cleaner that you can be. And he went on with a bunch of other things in, in there. And he just tied all that into a, um, into a service to God. And that's what we've got to do. Whatever it is that we do. And let's take a look at what he says here again. Bond servants, obey all things, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. Whatever you do, whatever you do, doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how insignificant you try and tell yourself it is. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. If you clean bathrooms, you clean them as unto the Lord. If you sweep streets, then you do it as unto the Lord. Whatever it is that we are doing, if we pump gas, we pump it, I'm, pretend like I am filling up God's gas tank right here. And every, every time a new person pulls in, what do you do? This is God's gas tank. I need to take care of this. I need to do something good for this. Uh, I, I pulled into a, a gas I know exactly which one it was. I was on my way home from the shore. And back then, um, I don't think it's that case now, but Jersey gas was a lot cheaper than Pennsylvania gas. I think it's about close to even now. It's not, but not, not, not much. Not, not enough to make me alter the... But I stopped in at the um, gas station that's on the Atlantic City Expressway as I was coming on home. And I pulled in. It was summer. I pulled in and uh, you know, filled up the tank. And the um, guy was over there and he's filling up the tank. And he did something I have never seen done in quite a few years. He pulled out 
the thing to clean off the windshield. Got out there and cleaned off my windshield. One side and got over to the other side and cleaned that off too. I, I told him afterwards, I said, I have not seen anyone do that in a lot of years. He says, well, you don't come here often enough. <laughs> I like this response so much, I gave him a tip. I've never tipped a gas station attendant before, but I gave him a tip. That was just, that was outstanding. That's the person who's going to do what they're doing as to the Lord. Whatever you do, do it heartily, heartily as to the Lord, not to men. I put the, um, did I put in your, the New Century Version on this one? Slaves, obey your masters in all things. Do not obey just when they are watching you to gain their favor, but serve them honestly because you respect the Lord. In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you are doing it for the Lord, not for people. Remember, verse 24, remember that you will receive your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord Christ. But remember that anyone who does wrong will be punished for the wrong and the Lord treats everyone the same. So even though we may look at, and the enemy wants to get us to do this, we look at the job that we do and the pay that we receive. And always we come up saying, the pay is not enough. We want to receive more. Constantly we, we, we get that thought. But we got to look at, no, God is on the payment side of this thing. I get some payment from the, from the boss. But I'm doing this unto God, and God's going to come through. Now, if I don't do it as unto God, is God going to come through? He says, you're not working for me. You're working for yourself. But if you work for, for him, whatever it is we do, whatever it is we're doing, we do it as unto God. And we show up at work in the morning. God, I'm doing this for you. I'm answering the phones, answering the letters, going through the, the files, whatever it is that we're doing. We do it as unto God. Every time that we look at them, this is unto God, taking care of his servants. And if we do that, God's going to pay up. Sometimes we only think that God pays when we're doing church work. But here, this is he's telling you, no, God pays for all work. Wherever it is that you're at, he'll come through. He will make payment. Here's Ephesians. Verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, who fear and tremble, or with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whoever, whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So whatever it is that we're doing, do it as unto God. God will pay up. Put in your outline, two reasons for slaves or employees to obey their masters or bosses. First off, God is your rewarder. Remember that God is your rewarder. Not the boss. God is your rewarder. Every time that you get that thought, I'm, they're not paying me enough for this job, God is my rewarder. Here's the second one. God is their rewarder. Just keep that in mind. God is your rewarder, and God is their rewarder. How does God pay good? With good. How does God pay evil? With evil. Not you. Not you. You don't repay it. He does. So as long as I don't get out there and, well, they've cheated me on this, so I'm going to cheat them on this. No, no, don't be doing it. Don't fall into that temptation. God is your rewarder. And God is their rewarder. So like God, do his job. And you do yours. Colossians chapter 4 verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. <laughs> so but if you want to retranslate that, say this. Bosses, bosses, give your employees what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in, in heaven. So, uh, bosses, if you don't give them what is just, what's God going to do? He's going to act just like that to you. So, so good stuff. So, if you get to be a boss, you get the right people's paychecks, stuff like that, doing good. Ephesians 6, verse 9, And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening. 
Ever had bosses who were always threatening? He says, give it up, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there was no partiality with him. So, that's how the bosses, that's how the masters are to treat those that are under them. I put this in your outline for you. Well, let me give you this one. Masters and slaves are spiritually equal in Christ. Bosses and employees are spiritually equal in Christ. Christian servants should be treated as brothers in Christ. Non-Christian servants should be treated in a way that demonstrates God's love. We end on this. God is not out to end or alter the relationships we have, be they equal or unequal, just our behavior in them. We may have a, we may have gotten born again and had a bad relationship. God is not out to end that. He is out to change you in that bad relationship. Whether it be a bad wife, bad husband, bad boss, bad master, <clears throat> bad kids. He's not out to end any of those relationships. He's out to change you in the relationships that you have. And when Paul writes these to the Ephesians, when he writes these to the Colossians, he's writing them about situations. They already had a wife. They already had a husband. They already had a master. They were a slave. They were a boss. They were employing. They had children. Whatever it was that they had. They still had them when they got born again. And he says, in those relationships, we're not here to end them. We're here to fix you in them so that you respond correctly. And that's what God wants to do. Any relationship that we have, God wants to fix us in them so that we are responding right. Us to children. Us as bosses to employees. Even to to fellow employees. Fathers to children. Whatever the relationship is, we've got to make sure that all the time we stay watchful. Are my words words that God the Father would use? Are my facial expressions facial expressions of a loving God in heaven? Or is it a tone that I use when I speak to people? Is that a tone that God would use with me? We've got to always take these things back because especially when we're dealing with children, but even so when we're dealing with a boss to an employee, how we speak is a demonstration of the God that we serve and the love that he has for us. What are we teaching them and how we relate to them? Father, I thank you for the help you give to each one of us in all these relationships that we have with the children that are under our care, with the employees that we may have under us, with the bosses that we have over us. Whatever relationships we are in, help us to maintain a godly attitude and use godly words and be one who encourages, not one who discourages, not one who provokes, but one who finds way, finds a way to bring out the good. Thank you for the help that you give us in these things. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.